Welcome to the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series, where your host, Andy Jacob, interviews leading entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs about their incredible companies and discusses their unique entrepreneurial journeys. If you're the CEO or founder of an exciting and exceptional company, the editorial team of Dotcom Magazine welcomes you to pitch your business story to appear on this exciting interview series by reaching out to Mr. Jacob at Dotcom Magazine at dotcommagazine.com. And without further ado, here is another amazing entrepreneurial story on the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Hello, everybody. Andy Jacob here with the dot-com magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. I am so happy that you tuned in to this show today. You know, we always talk about business growth. I mean, that's what we're all about. You've seen some of the leading worldwide experts in business talking about business growth, talking about their business growth, talking about how to increase your footprint in the world. And of course, when we saw what Mr. Dave Barnhart is doing at a company called Arcasis, our team reached out immediately because he has a very interesting business model. When we talk about business growth, I mean, listen to this, sit back in your chair. You might need a, a cup of coffee to hear this. He's and his team are specializing in business growth. Listen to this in space, business growth in space. I mean, it's remarkable what they're doing. You can tell from his backdrop what he's involved with, but I'm gonna let him tell you about it a little bit, but we have so many questions about really building the future of space expansion. And I've got Dave, the expert, worldwide leading expert on the show. Dave, welcome to the dot-com magazine, Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Pleasure to be here. Thanks very much, Andy. Yeah, it's great to have you. I mean, you're a straightforward guy, but involved in some real interesting technology, a real interesting business model. We talked to a lot of business owners. We've never seen anything like this. We didn't even hear about Arcasis really before we started investigating who's leading business growth in space. And you're one of the leaders already. Before we get started, though, let's pull the lens back to 30,000 feet. Tell us about Arcasis, and then we're going to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate it. Um, I think the easiest way to explain, in essence, what we're doing is we're duplicating uh, what is ubiquitous around the world that everybody knows about, which is nautical ports. There's a port in Los Angeles. There's a there's all kinds of ports all over Europe. There's ports in Asia. And what those things do is they are nexus points for services, cargo, goods, and in essence, growth, not only at the location, but also for the countries involved. We're creating the first space ports in space. That's the goal. I mean, it's unbelievable. And you've already moved along in the process. This is not something that you're just drawing up on a whiteboard. I mean, this is something that's moving forward at lightning speed. You and your team are doing a great job. You have great technologists and a great staff. Let's talk about it, though. Where are we in this process? Because people are going to be listening to this. And, you know, they're hearing about space and they're hearing about, you know, Elon sending up the rockets and the satellites and everything else. Where are we with Arcasis right now in this process? 
to get to where you want to go, which is really building the entire future of space expansion. Yeah, no, thanks very much. Um, so the, the the idea behind having a port here on Earth, you typically have land mass that you move to. That's sort of what the driver is, right? Um, what's interesting is if you want to put a port or something similar in space, you have to build it. So um, we are, in essence, starting from the minimum viable product, the smallest element, which is one of the hexes that you see behind me. We call that our port module. And a port in any harbor in orbit is basically any altitude becomes one or more of those minimum viable products, those port modules. Um, to date, we have built up one of those full-scale port modules. It's actually in our facility right here. Uh, we've also built up um, uh, a, a tender, uh, a small vessel that actually is able to fly up to us, connect, and we use that to actually take off new payloads, new cargo, uh, new customers, technologies, that we've also built up a full-scale uh, mock-up here in our facility. Uh, and we've done all of the work behind the scenes to allow anybody to connect or disconnect to our port modules. Yeah, it's remarkable what's happening. I mean, you think about it. So you mentioned a port. Let's say it's a shipping port. Let's say it's, you know, Oakland or Long Beach or, you know, somewhere down in Florida, you know, Panama Canal, wherever we're going to talk about it. All the ships come in, they do their business, they unload, they dock, they load, uh, they bring payload, they bring, you know, whatever it is that they're carrying, there's a process that goes on. But you're starting to think about it in terms of, we know that space is the next frontier. I mean, you and I shared a conversation prior to the interview, how you got turned on to this whole thing at an early age, which I want to get into. But you envision a, a world, a space world, where these ports are really the central of commerce in space. Is that sort of the idea? That's absolutely the intention. The, the, the two dates, space has really been sort of dominated by uh, large companies, large organizations, large countries putting things up. And space has always been very focused on the earth. Makes sense, right? You're high ground, you can use it for communications, for optical, looking at weather, whatever it is, right? It's all for the earth. Only recently has technology gotten to the point where uh, now you can potentially build or repair things in space, which fundamentally changes the paradigm of space being a place that you build something, you launch it, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, oh well, right? No more. Now the technology is the point you can actually put together, assemble, repair, or refuel other customers or people's spacecraft capabilities that's on orbit. So what that essentially does now is it's following the same precept uh, of a nautical port on the ground where you have uh, large cargo ships coming in. But in this case, we're using they call orbital transfer vehicles, space tugs, um, different types of servicing vehicles to come up to us in this case. And the goal is for our ports to be focused on commercial revenue with companies that want to learn how to do business in space test out new technologies that are required, develop manufacturing uh, precepts, which will then pioneer either bringing things back down to the earth or leading things up and actually growing. Yeah, it's interesting, of course, Dave, when I think about it, I know that there are certain governmental applications for what you're doing as well. And I'm sure that they're very interested in watching 
what's going on with your modules and with your reusable space platforms and vehicles. But I want to talk a little bit about the types of companies. So we're thinking about Arcasis. We're thinking about what you're building, business growth in space. I mean, you're going to allow people to test and experiment and build and fly a lot of really great things. What types of companies are going to reach out to you and say, Arcasis, you know, hey, Dave, we want in. Like, who are the companies that are going to want to use your platform in the future? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a valid question. So um, you take a step back and you think about, you know, we have to put a business together to do commerce and generate revenue in space, which means we have to focus on a market, right? So then the question becomes, what is the market? Uh, and in this case, there's there's a tiered set of companies or markets that are interested in what it is that we're doing. The first, uh, I, I think one that's the most vibrant and the one that exists today that's underserved is what's normally called the hosted payload market. Uh, and in essence, that consists of um, companies as uh, you know, large as Lockheed Martin or Boeing or anybody else that wants to go up, all the way down to two or three people in a specific company that come up with a really cool technology, but they don't have the cash to put together an entire spacecraft. So instead, they'll fly up with us. We already have a platform. We connect them in, turn them on, and they check themselves out. So the the actually the market for the hosted payload uh, uh, enterprise and what we're doing is is huge because at the moment because space is still a tough domain to get into you have to build things that are going to last in space and truly the only thing that validates you operating in space is if you operate in space so it's a sketch 22 that you'd like to test things out in space prove that it's all qualified prove that it's capable to last um, even before you put together the final product to start generating revenue. So yeah. that's one of the biggest ones that we're working on. Um, from there, in terms of markets, you can then expand. That, those, that market specifically is for typically technologies that want to be tested that goes into another spacecraft that's going to be launched eventually. Many of those activities are looking at the Earth, whether it's optical signatures, whether it's communications, whether it's Internet access, um, cool technologies that people are coming up with. That's great. The next segment, and the one that we're the most interested in in terms of growing, is what I'll call the space-to-space -space business segment. Um, and this is where you've got companies like um, roboticists that want to develop space robotics, or you have companies that want to build a very large uh, aperture, a much bigger antenna, as an example, that you can generate far more communications, you can talk longer distances, um, or you want to assemble a very large SAR uh, payload, which is synthetic aperture radar, so you can see through clouds, right? So that'd be great to do that. At the moment, we're still limited by the fairing size of a launch vehicle that goes up, and you, then you can unfold things. With our ports, we have the ability to actually assemble things that are now on the size of, you know, a kilometer in scale, which is a really big deal. That's a big deal. Space to space. I mean, we have B to C, B to B, yeah, you know, yeah. now we've got S to S, space to space. Yeah. I mean, you're right in the middle of it. And of course, you're leading the way. Now, we think about it, Dave. I mean, you know, Elon, Elon he launches the, you know, the, the rockets and he says before they go off, there's a percent chance. Here's my percent chance that this thing's going to blow up. I mean, he knows yeah. that some of those yeah. chances, they're going to blow up and they're going to go to dust. In your business, 
How do you know when it's ready? In other words, is it just a gut feel? Do your technologists and engineers say, hey, Dave, this is the best we can do and we got to go with it now? Because like you said, you can only test it in space. You can't test it, you know, in a in a warehouse. Let's see, you've got to get it up there. So when do you know, Dave, as the CEO, when it's ready to roll? Yeah, so there's a there's a reasonable sequence of validation and verifications for anything that anybody wants to put in space, um, especially for the first time. So we 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 go through a very rigorous process from design to the build to the then eventually the test. I mean, you test at the lowest level elements, then you grow that that another element, you grow it, you, you test it at the system level until eventually you're testing one of those huge modules in the background there. Uh, all by itself. Um, and then, so that's, you test it in the laboratory to make sure all the electronics are working, the software is operating correctly. And then you eventually take it to a location where they shake it, they bake it, they yell at it, you get acoustic vibration. They do all these things to it. And and basically what you're doing is you're validating that it's going to survive at launch to go from the earth up to orbit. Um, so in our development plan, we have a very rigorous um, process laid out to make sure that we can uh, test at every sec- segment and reduce the risk. Now, that's what everybody does. That's great. Uh, wh- what we've done a little bit differently is we've thought about this from a longevity standpoint and from a commercial connectivity standpoint. So what that means is we've built in to the port modules themselves the ability to bring up another component that maybe something fails on the port module that you could connect into it. Why is that important? That's important because we must change the paradigm that once you launch something, that's it. You can't do anything to it. So we've accepted that and accelerated that to the point that now we can actually uh, connect components that may be at risk of failure. We can add components that can grow its scale and performance, all built in in the design itself of the port module. So, so I mean, it's interesting you asked the question about, you know, and you made the analogy about Elon and launching things, right? I really don't want these things to fail. What we want to do is to build in the resilience and the flexibility so that no matter what happens, we can add, add something to it to offset whatever potential failure or risk or you know thing that went wrong. So we've built into it specifically the maintainability even before the thing launches. Yeah, I love it. And for the entrepreneurs watching the show, you know that we talk about this idea of intelligent design all the time. It's very important as an entrepreneur, very important for your business to sort of play 3D chess as you're going along to design whatever you're designing in an intelligent way. And the way I understand it from Dave is that they're going to launch these port modules in a way that if something fails up there, they can go ahead and service that port module and maybe even add an additional port module onto the existing port module. Now, when we think about port modules, how big of a of a process, how big of a of an expansion can these models or these modules go out? I mean, are we talking ultimately they're going to be miles and miles large up in space? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, uh, you brought up a really good point. Um, in addressing the flexibility and the maintainability of what we call a port module, which is one of the hexes behind us, um, we've also built in the ability to connect port modules together. 
So, you know, what, what you see behind me is essentially four separate port modules that have all been brought together and are physically connected and operating together. To give you a scale of one of those port modules size, um, uh, it's about um, three meters across um, from, from end to end and about two meters high. So a person can stand inside and it's about up to your chest um, as you're standing there. Um, so it's, it's pretty big. It's designed though to be able to be launched independently. Now, it can be launched on a small launch vehicle, but it doesn't need a really, really, really large launch vehicle, right? We've Again, we've tried to look at this from a stepwise process, from a capital expenditure, from a revenue generation standpoint, from a risk standpoint, such that you launch these independent port modules that now are able to connect together. So the question you asked was, what is the scale, right? How big can it get? Well, so that's, we, we haven't yet seen a limit. Um, the other interesting thing is you can put port modules together, if you think about it in two dimensions, you know, they expand out, or you can adjust them in three dimensions. So one on top of the other, another one. Um, we have a number of different potential designs where you could put big tanks in the middle of it. Um, the idea is flexibility to change the configuration without, you know, needing billions of dollars, which is normally what you need when you put up very large things in space, like what we're talking about. So interesting, Dave, you know, I went to the Smithsonian many years ago. I saw some of the exhibits and I looked at the the vehicles that were taken to the moon back in the ninth, late 1960s. I still remember that when I was a kid. They had the they had the camera upside down so everybody in my family was upside down looking at the TV because they had the first images upside down and I think about the technology to get to the moon in 1968. I mean, or I think it was 68. That's an insane feat for humankind. And now here we are, you know, a number of years later, and you're doing things with Arcasis. And it seems like it becomes more powerful, but yet smaller as we evolve. The, the, the equipment becomes smaller and it becomes more powerful and more nimble, I would call it. When you're designing something like this with your team, Let's talk about the technology component because I'm still having a tough time getting my head around it. I mean, how much drawing board time has been put in to get your first module sort of ready to roll? How much time have you spent on this with your team? Yeah, so we we really earnestly got started uh, at the end of 2019. Um, Murphy's Law. Uh, we got started right at the end and then boom, everything shut down because of the COVID, right? Um, so, but we've spent about two years um, of really concerted, concentrated work in, in designing the architecture. Um, and then really, the, the most difficult thing that we've come up with is to try to make this flexibility to attach and connect and grow, right? It's straightforward to build something that's gonna go up once. That one's, that one's fairly easy. But if you wanna build in the resilience and the ability to connect and disconnect, move around, change the configuration, then you've got to really think about what are those key things needed. Now, the really cool thing, as you sort of pointed out, um, the technology has advanced so quickly, and, and in particular, microelectronics has enabled, obviously, a huge explosion in small satellites and satellites in general. But in our case, uh, one of our first technologies we developed was what we call a universal data protocol adapter. Really boring, not very sexy, it's a thing that's on the inside you'll never see, 
but it's the magic when anybody around the world has a physical device and they want to connect in. Every physical device, unfortunately, has a different connector. They have a different set of data that they need to talk to and send out. And we as a company, you got to figure out, well, we don't want you to convert to what we have. We're going to conform to you, right? So we created this, this new small applique, as we call it. Um, and it turns out that, that we've already started to test with companies around the world by shipping them these little appliques. They connect in, convert it to Ethernet, and Bob's your uncle. We're able to operate the thing through our digital twin. So from a, you know, what technology is required, that was one of the first ones so that we can connect anybody at any time and all convert so that we can talk to them. And that's a really big deal. The, the second one, the second sort of most key technology is you can think about it as the interface connector, the physical thing to connect things together, right? And, and in that standpoint, we've actually, uh, we've actually selected two companies, two different approaches for how uh, companies have put together physical interconnects and we actually proliferate that throughout the entire port module. Um, again, following the nautical nomenclature, uh, we actually have over 60 berths, as we call them, which are really little interface connectors that people can connect things into, right? Um, and the whole way that we can allow that is that we have the microelectronics to be able to, to connect in on the backside. So you'll never see them, but it's all on the inside that takes whenever you connect things, converts the right data, talks to the device correctly and says, hey, I've just got a brand new payload that's an optical uh, camera. Now we want to go into the test phase. Yeah, yeah, so interesting. That connection application sounds to be like a really big deal. I mean, congratulations on figuring that out with your team. You have a great story. I mean, you weren't a person that didn't love space from a young, from a young age. You loved space. You got hooked on space as a young boy. We need to talk about that because this is someone for the people watching the show, Dave followed his passion, followed his interest, and he got hooked early in this space. But let's talk about that story because that's fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, just just so happens that uh, you know, I, I really had the bug about space in general. And when I was a uh, when I was a boy, it was about the right time that the Apollo program was going forward. Um, so I still I still remember as I and I know a number of other folks in our industry about my age say the same thing. Uh, as we stayed up late at night in our pajamas watching Neil Armstrong step down on the moon, right? Uh, it was just, it was a really big inspiration moment. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, stepping into the unknown, doing things that we hadn't done before. Um, so, you know, either, either it was good or it was bad. I'm not sure, but I had the bug way back then that I wanted to be involved, either to build the spacecraft, build the rockets, be an astronaut, whatever it is, I wanted to be involved. And so, um, been lucky enough that I have pursued that that passion throughout the years. Um, been involved in some of the very first key technology activities um, that the uh, that that our country worked on relative to protecting ourselves in space. So I worked on the old ubiquitous Star Wars program many many years ago, um, and it was very very cool because again it was cutting edge technology, and I could see how how powerful and impactful that was. Um, been lucky enough over my career to have started a few other space companies. Um, one of them arguably was the very first space servicing company that was out there. It was actually in joint with um, a German entity that was there. Um, then started up uh, another space company with a colleague that I had had uh, when I 
had done some work with the uh, Air Force Research Lab for Millennium Space Systems. Um, so that was cool. And then uh, most recently, I had I was lucky enough to be selected to be a DARPA program manager for for four years and do a stint at you know the fabled location that started the internet and did all these wonderful other things. So um, so yeah, I, I've I, I guess I specifically tried to follow the path related to space and may not have always been you know exactly the same, but in essence, I was lucky enough to be able to create a breadth of experiences and skill sets and knowledge in this particular domain that in all honesty, I'm trying to all put together to create the crazy things behind me here. Yeah, it's fantastic. What a great technology stack you have in your own life of what you've done throughout your career. Now, let's talk about timetables because, you know, you think about it, 10, 9, 8, 7, I mean, everything that goes out into space, I mean, it is locked down to the second, to the microsecond, to the millisecond. Let's talk about timetable for Arcasis. Where are we today? Where does it go in the next 12 months? What's it look like for people that are going to be following this along? Yeah, no, thanks very much. Um, uh, we So we started this uh, roughly back in 2020. Um, right now, we're on track to get our very first launch of the first element, which is what we call the cutter. <laughs> we're trying to use the old nautical nomenclature, right? old sailing cutter. That is, in essence, the tender, the, the service vehicle that supports a port or port module. Um, it's smaller. It's basically one of the wedges that fits in around the hexagon, uh, but it's able to be launched by itself. So the goal is to get that up late 2024. And why that's important is that all of the technology, the electronics, the things that I just talked about go inside of that. And so we do our first space test, right? Same, same as everybody else. Um, that will be followed a year later. This is, the, this is our plan. A year later by launching the very first port module into the same orbit. And then roughly six months after that, we literally then dock. We bring the cutter to dock with the port module and demonstrate the entire end-to-end proof of concept and approach of what we put together. Each one of those launches, we'll be able to get uh, revenue generations on because we'll be able to host payloads, host customers. Um, so we'll be demonstrating, in essence, the entire business plan within the next two to three years. That's that's currently where we're at. Wow. We are in a we, we are in a in the process of a raise, so we're pushing hard to try to find the appropriate probes. This is sort of a seed raise. Um, to date, we've had a number of support that's come from government investment, in essence. Um, that has been supporting us to this point, but we really, really, that the whole uh, premise is that the commercial market is the one that's going to be driving and is driving innovation in space these days to take that next step. Wow. I know I'm keeping you over. I want to talk about entrepreneurship because you've been through it, you know, for many years. But before I do, I have kind of a geeky question. The tender. Yeah. You're going to launch, you say it can be launched on its own. Yeah. Well, where is it in Port Canaveral? I mean, where, where does it launch from? How does it get up there? Oh, yeah. No. So the, the good thing is that the tender itself, again, is much smaller than the port module. The tender is about 200 kilograms, to give you an idea. The port module is about 2,000 kilograms. So it's much bigger, right? Um, but the, the cutter itself can be launched as a secondary, on a secondary ride opportunity. So, yes, we could launch on a SpaceX vehicle or a Falcon. We could launch on smaller launch vehicles. Uh, and there's a number of them out there, uh, uh, 
fireflies out there. Rocket Lab has been launching. So wherever it is around the world that they're potentially launching, we could go onto that. And then it will go into a specific orbit that will prove things out and it'll stay there until we then send up the port module and then the two will rendezvous together. Wow, yeah. incredible. We're gonna be so fascinated to watch the continuance of the journey for Arcasis. Before I let you go, Dave, I wanna talk about entrepreneurship because we have younger entrepreneurs watching the show. They don't even remember, you know, the, the, the Neil Armstrong. They never saw it live like you did. I mean, I did actually. So maybe they're having a tough time in their business. Maybe they're hitting a freeze frame. Maybe they kind of are freaking out a little bit because they don't know how to handle the pressure. So maybe you could share some insight and some wisdom to the younger entrepreneurs watching the show, Dave, about what it takes to keep on pushing when times get tough. Yeah, so that's I, I'm happy to do so. And it's it's uh, wonderful. You know, I'd like to think there's a whole host of entrepreneurs out there continue to push. Um, I've been lucky enough to interact with a number of uh, younger folks that have gone on to actually build uh, their own companies, which is great. Uh, one of the biggest things, um, my, my recommendation is, and the thing that I found is, and, and this may seem strange to say, because typically entrepreneurs are very, very hard focused, A-type personalized, want to move forward. But one of the biggest things to do is to, is to listen. And, and when I say listen, I mean, um, you have people around you that are supporting you. Um, and then you have customers you're talking to. Sometimes the insight to either break free from potentially a brain freeze or what it is you want to do, and you're not quite sure how to start the process, comes from the people that you're talking to specifically. And so uh, it, it, it's hard to do sometimes because, you know, we're all, you have to take care of so many things as an entrepreneur um, from financial activities, signing checks, uh, resolving issues with facilities, potentially uh, figuring out your production or supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many things you have to worry about. Um, in many cases, just sort of take a step back and, and try to listen. I, I can almost guarantee that there will be some epiphany moments that occurs uh, when that happens. The, I, as an example, you know, the reason we actually worked on a cutter, we actually came up with that, was because we were having conversations with uh, folks early on about do they have an orbital transfer vehicle to support us? And many said they did, many said they didn't. Um, but then someone asked us the question, we were just talking to them about, um, well, isn't the technology in every one of your wedges the same? And couldn't you just fly them up and connect together? We hadn't thought about that because we had sort of, oh, well, that's too tough. We're going to go down this path. But as soon as that question was asked, in honesty, we took a step back and said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So anyway, that's, that's one recommendation. I, I know it's, you know, it's, it's tough every day. You're working many, many hours. And this is the, the one thing that I observe is uh, many people think starting a business is a sprint. It's not. It's a marathon. <laughs> it's a marathon. A marathon of multiple sprints and then you're constantly walking and then you sprint and then you constantly walk, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Listen to people that care about you. Listen to your customers. Yeah. Listen to people yeah. that you're going to be serving because sometimes that's the wealth of knowledge. That basically, Dave, what you just gave us in Harvard MBA class right there, and that's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. I really appreciate that. And having you come on now in this sort of genesis of Arcasis is a real honor for us, Dave. 
I mean, what you're doing with the connection applications, I mean, the tender going up here in short order. I mean, it's just so fun to watch. There's this new thing that I learned from you besides the whole interview, which is this S to S, the space to space. I mean, I'd never heard that before. You're right on the cutting edge of that. I mean, I haven't even heard that. And you know, we speak to a lot of people. So we're in the S to S space. I mean, it's fantastic, Dave. I want to thank you so much for coming on the dot-com magazine entrepreneur spotlight series today. When the tender gets ready to roll, we're going to bring you back on and maybe we can even do a live broadcast watching that thing go up into space. All right, Dave. That'd be awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for the honor. It's awesome. 